Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to be back. Joining me now to break down all the market action. How are you doing, Ryan Huang? Welcome back, Michelle. So Santa Claus comes early today with <laughs> Michelle Martin. I'm back after my first bout with COVID and it was nasty. Yeah, how nasty? I mean, body aches or...? So body aches like I've never felt before. A headache that felt like my brain was going to just spill out mm, of gosh. my skull. And uh, just very awful sensations throughout. So you're close to 100% now? I don't know, but I'd have this stabbing sore throat that would come on intermittently. Yeah, it affects different people different ways. So hopefully you get better soon, Michelle. Thank you, Ryan. In the meantime, I'll just take a further step back away from Ryan. We start this morning, as we often do on Mondays, down on Shenton Way. And we're going to take a look at director deals and institutional buying. Who's buying? Who's selling? What's behind it? Two companies are in focus this morning. One is a recent addition to the Singapore Exchange. The other is a household name. In fact, you might be using one of its services right now. The first company has seen its share price plunge over the past couple of weeks, and the second, you might say, has gone through an extended plunge. It is trading well off its highs of more than a decade, if you think about it, but it has more or less stabilized this year. Okay, just two clues before I reveal this morning's stocks in focus. One is a streaming media play. The other is a telecoms company whose name evokes the heavens. Do you know who I'm talking about? Our stocks in focus are 17 Live and Starhub. Okay, let's start with 17 Live. It went public about 10 days ago, and this is Singapore's first company to start trading via a SPAC. That's a special purpose acquisition company. So what sort of activity are we seeing? And are the original SPAC investors sticking with 17 Live, or are they taking their money and running? Yeah, so... If you guess running, then yes, you are right. Because typically when you've got investors that you want to make money, and in this case, they are thinking it's time to take profit. <laughs> so 17 Live is, as you've outlined, a bit of a pure play live streaming platform, which is, well, if you look around, quite a buzz these days. So it could have gone either way. If investors you know, like the story that this will continue to grow, maybe they were stuck around. But it does look like maybe they thought it's time to take profit with perhaps what else is playing out in the markets. And worth noting, of course, VTech is Tomasic backed. Vertex Technology Acquisition Corporation uh, is one of its units. So it's got good backing, but at the same time, investors are thinking maybe it's time to, at least the early investors, time to take money off the table. 17 Live set its initial trading price at $5 a share, but it has fallen far below that level, most recently trading at $1.69. So what do you think this says about Singapore's SPAC market? SPACs were hot in the US about two to three years ago, and now we have our first one in Singapore, and it doesn't seem to have impressed investors so far. What do you think? Yeah, let's wind the clock back to two or three years ago. That was a time of easy money. Monetary policy settings were so different back then. Mm. You had the Fed just rolling out cash and you had people putting it to use in stock markets in many places, buying into crypto, things like specs with a craze. And the SGX was playing catch-up to some extent. So now you've got specs starting to try to find ways to de-spec, you know, trying to unwind and cash out in a sense. So that 
could be, I guess, a case of too little, too late in that sense because the boat has already moved. The risk appetite is not as strong as before. Perhaps investors are looking elsewhere. You know, the crypto craze is also starting to fade. So you've got NFT phase not too long ago. All these things come in fads or phases. So I think for specs, not as strong as before. So it's going to be a tougher environment for them to thrive. Mm, the season for specs has passed. Let's turn to our second stock in focus this morning. I want to look at Starhub. It's been in the midst of a share buyback spree. So what's the latest here? Yeah, so let's take a look at what's playing out for the telco Starhub. It has purchased a total of 450,000 shares in the last five trading days at a dollar nine cents per share. So this is all part of his share buyback mandate, which it renewed. And back then in June, it said it would set aside $50 million to repurchase up to 3% of its issued share capital. That's mm. about 52 million shares. So it still has some ways to go to finish that uh, war chest of money to buy back shares, so to speak. So all in, Starb says, this is all part of returning excess cash to shareholders mm-hmm. because this business model is shifting. So if you look at what's been paying out for Starhub, it's been on a bit of a restructuring of sorts under what's dubbed Dare Plus. So Dare Plus is the term for the plan. It's been doubling down on everything digital. So D, for doubling down digital... A, for accelerating value creation. Mm. R, for realizing growth without frontiers. And then you've got E, for experiences, all in Dare Plus. And as part of that thing, or part of that plan is going through, it means the money it's going to be spending on things like maintenance, KPEX, to become OPEX. So it's a shift in models, and in a sense, it's not needing as much cash as before. So a bit of, um, I guess, movement or reallocation of resources. We do like our acronyms here in Singapore, right? So what does the PLUS stand for? (laughs) Good question. (laughs) I guess PLUS is one up for me. (laughs) All right, makes sense. At the top of the show, I mentioned that Starhub shares have experienced a long-term plunge. Think about it. Back in 2013, Starhub was trading four times higher than it is today. Back then, it was a blue-chip stock. A constituent of the Straits Times Index. Starhub was dropped from the STI five years ago. Over the past year, though, Starhub shares have stabilized. They're actually a couple of percent up since the start of the year. So do you think this is a sign that Starhub has finally turned its business around? Yeah, there are some encouraging signs. Among them, what's playing out in the cybersecurity business. So a couple of things doing well for it there, including its revenue coming in from what's called Ensign is continuing to see growth on that part. Um, But of course, competition is quite intense. Uh, You've got Starhub seeing streaming services starting to eat its lunch, and that's been going on for quite some time. So it's got to find a way to bring people back into the fold, make its content offerings more sticky, bundling it somehow to make it more attractive. And the likes of Netflix, the likes of other streaming players are going to be giving it a tougher time. You know? Why do I need to buy stuff from StarHub? No, I can just go direct to these guys. So it's got to find a way to improve its loyalty programs, its price points as well, how it serves different segments. So all these things are probably going to be um, parts of the equation it's going to be looking at, plus how it's going to be addressing the enterprise business, the mm. 
stuff that it sells to people like broadband services, the pipes, and of course, cybersecurity. Mm, last week, Starhub did also mention the sale of one of its subsidiaries as a cryptographic tech business to ST Engineering. It's hard to say, but I think ST Engineering may have got the better end of the deal here, investing in a company that focuses on encrypted communications and secure computing. Sounds like it could be really lucrative. I want to turn to Wall Street now because U.S. stocks are on a seven-week winning streak. The Dow Jones Industrial Average, NASDAQ, S&P 500 all finished up about 25 to 3% last week. The small cap Russell 2000 Index did even better. It jumped 5.5%. So let's talk about the market narrative. How would you describe what is driving this rally? Yeah, there's been quite a bit of optimism coming off the back of last week's FOMC meeting. And just a bit of a recap, we had no changes to rates, but we had some inkling that we could get rate cuts next year. So this is with a view that perhaps all the rate hikes that we've seen in the past few quarters may be enough to get the US economy to where it needs to be. So the Fed is starting to think maybe three rate cuts, but then the market's starting to think ahead of that. And was talking about as much as six rate cuts. So this all come as soon as middle of the year. So that's the optimism that's been playing out in the past few days. And then came a bit of a, I guess, reality check from John Williams, the New York Fed president. So he came out with an interview to talk about how the Fed's not really ready to do so. So typical Fed playbook, you've got someone just tempering expectations, going back and forth, leaving it a bit vague. So markets are starting to unwind some of the optimism. Now the odds in terms of the swap markets are pricing in five instead of six rate cuts next year. So we've got a bit of a tempering of optimism and markets starting to show some signs of profit-taking. Some momentum is fading. But who knows, in the lead-up to Christmas, typically you see some good news enough to drive a Santa Claus rally. So maybe that could play out. And already we are seeing December being a pretty good month for markets by and large. So I think all in, we are in for a pretty optimistic end to 2023. Yeah, I think optimistic being the theme here. A lot of enthusiasm thanks to the Fed and that perception that interest rates have peaked. That plus growing optimism that the US may have dodged a bullet and avoided recession. That seems to be a divergence of opinion though. Uh, That seems to be a little bit of a fork in the road when it comes to interest rates when you go to Europe. The Bank of England and European Central Bank both pushing back against expectations of interest rate cuts and this conceivably could boost the euro and pound sterling vis-a-vis the US dollar. All right, Ryan, if we take a look at the week ahead, tell me what's on your radar. All right, a big one, of course, is going to be the Bank of Japan. That's playing out tomorrow with the meeting decision. And no changes expected as well. Mm. Of course, Bank of Japan is the last central bank with negative rates of 0.1%. So the expectations are perhaps it might signal what's going to be playing out next year. And that's where we could be seeing some signals of gradual normalization of policy. So that's what's making the rounds in the market right now in terms of potential moves by Japan. And of course, that's going to be significant because in the past year, the good part of this year, mm-hmm. it's seen a lot of weakness against the US dollar especially. But in the past month, we've seen a bit of a rebound for the yen. So if we do get more 
similar type of talk where the yen or whether the Japanese markets, the BOJ, talking more about normalization of policy, then the yen is going to strengthen more. So maybe it could be worth watching tomorrow's decision of um, any hints of coming policy shifts. So that's um, the big one for me this week. Interesting. So Ryan will be looking at Japan. I'll be continuing to check out the states and see the Santa Claus rally in the US marches on. The S&P 500 already trading around record high levels above 4,700. In the meantime, it is... Time for our look at corporate news, and we do it up or down style. That's our daily game. Let's start with DocuSign. I use these guys all the time. All right, these guys are the folks who help make things easier for us to sign things digitally. So DocuSign in the news because they are exploring a sale. Mm. So it could be one of the most leveraged buyouts in recent times. So this is all based on a Wall Street Journal report. Nothing official yet, but already you've got investors starting price in the good news. The stock price is up nearly 15%. Wow, look at that. Uh, Wall Street Journal reporting that DocuSign could be up for sale. You can read more there. Next up, let's look at the big box retailer Costco. All right, so this is interesting for me because it's around gold bars. So Costco has sold more than $100 million in gold bars. So that's, first of all, a new fact for me. I didn't realize you were selling gold. <laughs> and then the second question crossed my mind, why are people buying gold? Mm. I suppose if you look at gold prices, it kind of makes sense because they have been hitting record highs and continue to build on those record highs. So perhaps people are trying to buy into this growing price trend and make some money short term or long term you know, buying gold uh, so that's what's playing out for Costco finding a new niche for growth Apparently you can buy anything at Costco. Wow. So Costco, one of the best performing blue chips on Wall Street on Friday. Its shares jumped nearly 4.5% on the back of stronger than expected earnings. And uh, yeah, this whole revenue line, Costco has discovered such a hit with online shoppers selling gold bars. Each Costco member is eligible to buy two one-ounce bars of gold. But that restriction doesn't stop the bars from selling out within hours of being posted online. And Costco grows more than than 100 million US dollars from the gold sales last quarter. That is an up for Costco. Next up, let's shift to China and the Singapore listed electric vehicle company, NIO. Yep, NIO is going to be an up for me. It's driving sales in Europe with its cheaper Firefly brand set to be launched there. So this is going to be more revenue streams for uh, NIO. And of course, it's just a reflection of how Chinese EV makers are making more inroads into Europe as one of their biggest markets. Yeah, Neo launching uh, its brand in Europe, Firefly. That's a brand of electric vehicles. Looking at Europe to launch this coming year, that is a year earlier than planned. EV sales are slowing in China and that's leading the company to seek more sales in Europe. Neo shares down more than 20% this year. But I think this earlier than expected move to grow its European business should be an up for Neo. Let's look at another Chinese EV maker. I am talking about Xpeng. All right, one is up and this one is down. So Xpeng is down because you've got Alibaba planning to cut its stake. And this is um, something that is, of course, potentially seen as a vote of confidence. You know, your major investor taking profit off the table, a sign that perhaps you know, it might have peaks in terms of growth. So this is worth noting. 
Alibaba has come out to say, hey, it's just us starting to monetize our investments. Not a reflection of a change in view. So that is at least the PR message that's coming out. Mm. So you'll have to read between the lines to see what you want to take out of it. Xpeng shares are up quite substantially from the start of the year, more than 50%. But they have lost nearly 20% of their value over the past three months. And now Alibaba has announced it is cutting its stake in Xpeng. So that's a down for the Chinese EV maker in my book as well. Our next entry this morning is a Singapore company, but one with uh, China links. Keppel DC Reed. Yeah, this doesn't read as good news for me. I would say it's a down. So in fact, Keppel DC Reed has slapped an IOU on a Chinese tenant. And this is the tenant of three Guangdong data centers to recover $9.1 million of old rentals and related expenses. So if you've got to go to the extent of you not know, posting an IOU, you kind of have an inkling of what's to come. It's going to be a tough challenge to sort things out at least. That's definitely not good and a down for Keppel DC Reed, one of its tenants in Guangdong is late on the rent to the tune of more than $9 million that's Guangdong Blue Sea data development that owes Keppel DC Reed that amount. Let's check in on local markets now. Over the past fortnight that I've been away, the Straits Times Index has gained one and a quarter percent. If we zoomed in a bit, the STI gave up some ground on Friday but still finished marginally higher for the week at 31.16. City Developments and Maple Tree Pan Asia Commercial Trust, they were the best performing blue chips last week. Uh, they each finished up 7% or more. On the flip side, the agribusiness Wilma International, the worst performing SDI constituent falling 4.7% last week. Now, from our last word, let's head to the movies for our last word of the day, where a 1964 book is the basis of a musical that has hit number one at the box office this weekend. It's a familiar story. The movie, though, is new. The author, one of my favorite children's authors, Roald Dahl. He's best known for Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, a great book, by the way. And a new musical adaptation is called Wonka. It stars Timothée Chalamet as the eccentric chocolatier. And it crossed, look at this, people. 39 million US dollars over the weekend. Not a huge sum, some would say. But then again, December releases, they rarely generate huge opening weekends, right? They do, however, tend to have staying power. So, are you, first up, a Charlie and the Chocolate Factory fan? Yeah, it is my favourite book of all time. Even now, I still have very fond memories of reading it again and again. It's... One of the books has managed to capture my imagination. All the Oompa Loompas, all the pools of chocolate. You know, it really <laughs> stirs up a lot of um, visuals just reading it. Yeah, yeah. It is a great book, I have to say. It's so interesting. That's, that is, is your favourite book. Yeah, my favourite book of all wow. time. The underdog story of Charlie, you know, going through the, I guess, obstacles he has had to go through. And of course, a bit of luck along the way. And of course, uh, the good guy... It's the winner at the end of the day. Love that, love that. Do you know what one of Roald Dahl's teachers wrote in his report book? Mm, what do you say? He didn't think that he had much future as a writer and he said the boy writes as slowly as a camel. Wow, I wonder why he said that. So yeah. definitely that's not the case if you look at all his works, not just Charlie and Chocolate Factory, all his books. Absolutely, I agree with you. He's one of the best writers of our time. Uh, this December's box office though sets a 
it looks like it's going to be dominated by not so much chocolate, but Warner Brothers Discovery. So in addition to Wonka, the movie house has released a new Aquaman film, Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom, as well as a new musical version of The Color Purple. You remember The Color Purple? Takes me back to 1985. Oprah Winfrey was a star. Uh, it was directed by Steven Spielberg. And now she and Spielberg are producers of this new version. It's a musical. And it focuses on the struggles of African-American women who are living in the U.S. South in the early 1900s. I watched The Color Purple. I loved it. Uh, I think I'll definitely watch the musical. I haven't even watched the first Aquaman. What? Okay, you've got a lot of watching to catch up on, especially as you hit towards the end of the year. Lots of time, I suppose. Um, I, have you watched Leave the World Behind on Netflix? I caught a bit of it. It was quite interesting. Um, I think... It is a bit of a mystery kind of vibe to it. So I'm still yeah. trying to scratch my head. What's going on? Did you manage to catch it? You know, I interviewed the author about the book that this is based on years ago when this the book came out, at least two, three years back. And back then, Denzel Washington was going to star in the, in the uh, Netflix mm. adaptation. Uh, even though he isn't in it, it is so unnerving, Ryan. Yeah. How does it compare you know, watching it versus reading it? Um, you get so many more details from the book, but I like the way the movie has pared down the story to the essentials. And I think it's it's almost Hitchcockian, you know. It's all, mm. almost like watching Alfred Hitchcock when you watch the movie. I can imagine that, yeah. Yeah, he's a very, very distinct authorial voice, Ruman Alam. Uh, that, I'm going to post that. I'm going to, you know what, I'm going to play that interview again because it's that good. Ruman Alam, uh, the Netflix adaptation is called Leave the World Behind. Right Thank you so much for being with me today. Thanks, Michelle. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A W E D I O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.